What you're about to hear is a little experiment. It's something we're going to call board meetings. The idea is to record my one-on-one -on -one conversations with fellow woodworkers as I try to assist them with their woodworking dilemmas. If this works out, who knows? Maybe I'll make a regular thing of it. I hope you enjoy. Our first call was from Brandon Pierce. Let's jump right in. All right, so you got a question for me tonight. Oh, yeah, a couple. Really, I just want to say hi. But... <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, good. that's a good start. How's it going? <laughs> good. So keeping busy in the shop, I assume. Actually, I'm on vacation now. Uh, out of town I, or that means i'm doing woodworking oh there you go perfect uh, anyways uh i sent you some pictures of that separator i built okay the uh sign separator with the harbor freight oh yeah yeah, yeah. okay <laughs> well i see i noticed you uh put the uh vortex from rockler yes mm -hmm. i was wondering if you had any uh comments on that or if anybody's interested you know shoot me an email or something because that thing works good man yeah well the the thine separator as far if i'm even pronouncing that correctly um as far as i know that probably will work better uh because the way he has it organized the way the airflow is designed sort of mimics a, a true cyclone and the one that uh the vortex separator that rockler just came out with is not quite as refined uh, it's really just basically a big tub with two pipes going into it. So um, I think if you go the route of building your own and following um, that plan, I think you're probably going to end up with a better product. So so if that's what you did, I think you're probably better off. Right, because it has the baffle in it. Mm -hmm. And it keeps, you know, the stuff you already have in the trash can, yeah. it keeps yeah. coming back up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely a good system for sure. And if you're just running like a shop vac or something, you can't beat it. It's great. I've got the uh, two horsepower, the Harbor Freight one, okay. the dust collector. How does the, how does it affect the suction? Is it still just as strong, and it just makes it easier now? It's really it's really the only experience I've had. I, I've never it's the first one I've had. Mm -hmm. I went to the website you actually put a link to, and uh, that's where I got all of the information from. The uh, he he actually has a website, uh, like a chat room. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. Right. And that's where I just got on there and learned how to do it. And, oh, very cool. But I probably put 200 board feet of walnut through the planer today. Okay. And emptied the trash can about five times and had about maybe two cups of, in the bag itself. Oh, man. But I did have, <clears throat> I did put the uh, wind filter on it, mm -hmm. the cartridge filter, which seems to help a lot. Sure, especially for that fine stuff. I think it uh, it makes a lot of sense, but that's great. What what an increase in, in uh, efficiency by adding that? Quite a bit, really, as long as it stays so much cleaner than that bag. And sure. Quite a bit more efficient. Just makes sense. Right. Well, cool, uh, cool. I, just, <laughs> I sent you some pictures today of that walnut, by the way. Oh, yeah, I think I, I saw those. Yeah, you got a ton of that stuff, so that's, uh, <laughs> that's going to give your stuff, uh, your machines quite a workout, man. That's great. Give my back quite a workout. <laughs> that too, right? <laughs> well, anything else uh, that I could do for you tonight? I had a quick quick question on a. I just have the 14 inch rigid bandsaw. Uh huh. The three quarter horse. Sure. And I, I know it's not good for resawing, but I have a lot of real thick uh, white oak and red oak. And I, what's the best size blade if I to even attempt to to resaw some of it? 
Yeah, in a case like that, you've got something that's a little bit less powerful than you really want, ideally for resawing. So what you're going to want is a blade that has, you know, think of it like a table saw. The fewer teeth, the more efficient it's going to cut, but it's going to be a little bit more aggressive. Well, that's kind of what you need in this case. You need something that, you know, maybe three teeth per inch, and you don't really need a whole lot of meat in there necessarily. So maybe a half inch blade. I think is going to give you, you know, probably the most efficient cut that'll allow you to blast through that stuff without straining the saw too much. Now you might get a little bit of a, a rough cut out of the deal, but you could send it through the planer and, and, you know, clean it up afterwards. But I think that's, you know, a lower tooth count is going to give you a little bit more of an efficient cut in your situation. Any specific brand name on bandsaw blades? You know, Wood Slicer from Highland Woodworking is a real good one. Um, I've got an, the, I use those as my primary blade for just, you know, my 14-inch bandsaw and just all the different varieties of blades that I have for that. Uh, on my big guy, uh, I basically use the Resaw King. That is a really expensive blade, and it's got little carbide tips. Uh, think about taking a table saw blade and stretching it out into a bandsaw uh, band. Uh, that's kind of what it's like. So I don't necessarily recommend that to everybody because it's so expensive. Uh, but for everyday blades, I know Timberwolf has a good reputation. Um, the Wood Slicer blades from Highland are very good, and Lennox blades are good. And you know what else? Uh, a company that's relatively new to me is, uh, but they're Canadian, uh, BC Saw and Tool is another one that makes uh, really good blades. All right. I got it wrote down. I appreciate it. Cool. Uh, Sounds good. Hey, if anybody's interested in that, uh, have them shoot me an email or something. And I'll guide them through building one of those uh, separators. Sounds good. Thanks, Brandon. I appreciate you calling in. I got the, uh, you know, the actual Harbor Freight collector was only, I had like a 20% coupon. So you're talking. Oh, that's a bargain. $140. Sure. Right. Yeah. You know, and, you know, I put a lot of extra stuff into it, but you can't really beat it. I mean, it works good. So. Sure. Oh, that sounds great, man. It's a cheap alternative, so. Cool. I will send people your way. All right, man. All right. Yeah, you too. Thanks, buddy. All right, later. All right, bye-bye. Hey, Robert. Yes, how you doing? Good. How's it going, buddy? Uh, Not too much. I just came from my shop. I have, um, uh, we're in uh, Charlestown, West Virginia, Mm -hmm. and I just recently uh, retired and got, uh, back into uh, something I love, which is working with wood. Oh, congratulations. Uh, got, That's great. Got a pretty um, pretty full-service shop, and I just um, am finishing up a, um, a workbench, uh, a, one of those robo-type uh, benches. Sure, right. Uh, with the uh, Versatec, um, whatever it's called, <laughs> the gotcha. mice. Mm-hmm. And um, I just, uh, you know, just... Actually, putting the vice together uh, just now. Okay. So cool. It's, it's, it came out pretty well. I uh, milled my own wood from uh, uh, very hard uh, maple. Okay. And, um, it's kind of the first time I've ever done anything like that. So oh, fantastic. Do you do you do a lot of hand tool work? Uh, no, but that's, that's the plan. I, I kind of enjoy it. Um, yeah, this is the gateway drug to get you in. Is <laughs> the workbench? <laughs> you need the workbench, though. So. Sure. All right. Oh, fantastic. You have to send in some pictures so we can post them on the yeah, site. Yeah, we'll do, and I'll, I'll send some uh, pictures of my shop once I get it um, squared away a little bit more. Yeah, please do. Yeah, will do, and uh, enjoy your site. I I, uh, I think within the last month or so, I uh, um, became a um, you know full-fledged member. Okay. And, uh, I think 
Thank you doing a great work. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. And uh, thanks for doing this with me. It's great to put a, a face with a name. This is very cool. Great. Cool. Thanks a lot, Robert. And uh, I guess we'll talk to you soon. All right. See All right. you soon. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye hey, Dan, how's it going? Hi. Pretty good. Good, good. What can um, I do for you, buddy? Well, on my project I've been working on, I decided to try the shellac. Hmm. And I was trying to figure out on the finishing to make it real shiny, which I can do if I take and buff it out. Mm -hmm. But I didn't think that was where it was supposed to go. I was supposed to just rub it out with a cotton suave, whatever you want to call it. Sure, right. So is that is that not correct? You, you're supposed to be able to rub it out to a, a gloss, not have to buff it out. Is that correct? Well, I see rubbing and buffing sort of in the same, you know, classification of, of basically just abrading the surface to higher and higher grits until it's as shiny as you want it to be. So you can either go the full scale French polish method. And I don't know if you were a guild member at the time, but we interviewed uh, VJ Velji <coughs> and he had a whole DVD on French polishing. And that is an art in and of itself to develop that process of, of really just rubbing out to uh, finer and finer um, applications of, of shellac. Uh, the other thing, the sort of simpler way, I just did in the, it was one of the last videos on the wall hanging cabinet series. I, I had water-based finish on there and I was not happy with the texture of the surface. So I just grabbed a little bit of uh, rotten stone and, you know, used my own little cotton pad and just used water as a lubricant and buffed the surface. And you'd be surprised how that alone can make a huge difference in the overall shine of the surface. So depending on how much work you want to put into it, you can do as little or as much as you want, but even just a little bit of buffing, and when I say buffing, I mean using polishing compounds to bring it up to a shine, that that will work too. So it, it just depends on where you want to go with it. Okay, I was just trying to do the French polish thing. I can I can buff it out, but I didn't think that was the French polish thing. Right, correct. Yeah, French polishing is a little bit of a different story because now you're applying very thin coats of, of the shellac and you have a little bit of oil on your pad as well. And you're sort of just very carefully gracing the surface, almost like a plane landing and taking off. And you're just going back and forth with it until you, and this is a really long-term process as well. So it's something that, uh, that I definitely recommend people do a lot of research on to learn the proper technique before they, you know, just go in and try it because there, there's definitely a lot of nuances to it. Right. Um, so I can send you some resources. I'll uh, throw up a few links. And um, when I put this post up, I can put the links up there uh, that'll give you sort of uh, tutorials on how to do it. And then I'll put a link to VJ Velji's DVD, which okay. is actually really, really good. And he also sells supplies for the stuff right. as well if you want to really get into the French polishing. All right. Well, I I have a I have a, a a nice finish on it. I mean, it's probably almost like a guitar finish. Okay. Uh, but it's it's just I've had to rub it out because when I pick my rag up, it seems like there's always a little teensy tiny mark, a little bit of smudge or something. That's yeah, like that I can't get out unless I rub it out. And I'm like, how do I keep that from happening? And I use the oil because I've watched YouTube a hundred thousand different videos on how to mm -hmm. but uh, still can't keep it from that little tiny smudge <laughs> yeah it really comes down to the uh you know the combination of the oil a little bit of denatured alcohol and the amount of shellac that you use and and i i don't do much french polishing myself but i know that there's a lot of nuance to it 
Uh, like I said, it's almost an art form in and of itself. And, and that's part of it is making sure that you have no witness lines, you have no streaks, you have no spots where you start and stop. And that's when you sort of come off the end of the panel, you know, lifting off instead of rolling over the edge is really important in making sure that you don't have those marks. But it's one of those things that even if I were to go in the shop right now and try this, it would take me a while to get the technique back down because I haven't done it in a long time. Gotcha. Yeah, definitely something that needs practice and I wouldn't expect to get perfect the first time. You know, it's something you do want to work on a little bit. Yeah. Well, I've been, I've been working on it for about a month now. <laughs> and at that one thing, well, you know what? The thing is, uh, VJ himself is uh, easily accessible. Um, I can give you his contact okay. information as well okay. and just tell him what the problem is. He does this stuff every day. So he'll be able to, you know, right away say, ah, you know what? Add a little more oil or, you know, add a little bit more thinner and you'll be fine. Um, he should be able to walk you through that, but, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll hook you up for sure. All right. Great. All right. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks for the call, Dan. Thanks. Bye-bye. Hello, Randy. Hey, Mark. Hey, how's it going? Going good. Good, good. What can I do for you? Well, I'm making the shaker tables. Oh, okay. And I'm getting to the point where my next steps will be doing the top and putting the bevel edge on it. Mm Mm-hmm. And I've got a Bisemeyer fence. I don't know how you pronounce that. Uh-huh. I, I pronounce it several different ways, and they're probably <laughs> none of them are correct, but <laughs> go ahead. Uh, and I, I really want to make a higher auxiliary fence to run those boards across, and something maybe I could use for at some point making raised panels. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out what to do, what I can, what are my options there? You could probably, I mean, it depends on how much you want to get into it. Like most jigs, you can make something that's a very quick thing that will get the job done, or you can make something that has multi-use and can last a really long time. Um, something for making like it lean that way, I think is multi-use. Yeah. And that's the thing you just, it's a little bit hard sometimes to know because you know, you're not, you don't know what you're going to need to do until you're in that part of a particular project. But that said, a tall fence is something that comes in handy for a lot of different things. So what and this is something I'm going to be doing in the next month or two on the the free site. When I was at the William Ng School, I was really impressed with their little tool caddy that he made. And basically, it's a long rectangular box that's, you know, maybe eight to, you can make it as high as you want, eight to 10 inches high. And it's uh, just a box that sits down over the fence. And inside that box, he has tools, pencils, just, you know, random stuff that you would want to keep around the table saw. But it slides over. It's sized perfectly to slide right on top of the fence. And it's a nice, tall auxiliary fence. And on the other side, because you figure you got two sides to use here. So one side is just basically a high fence. The other side, he cut a rabbit in the bottom so that you can use it to nest the blade underneath it and you could do a bunch of different things with that as well so um i'm going to develop a whole plan for it it's pretty straightforward but it's just plywood it's just all you know use plywood or any spare scrap plywood that you have sitting around but one side's for the tall fence and the other side is for uh nesting the blade under the fence so kind of a multi-use there dado cuts you mean Uh, yeah like if you were doing you know let's say you want to make a tenon using the dado blade Uh, that cut needs to go all the way to the end of the board and putting that up against, you know, putting the dado blade right up against your fence is never really a great idea uh, because you're going to nick the fence at some point. So it's a way that you can put the blade just under the fence and this way you could bring your workpiece right up to the edge of the fence and you'll get a nice clean cut all the way through. 
Um, I've done that for a number a number of different things, but it will it will come in handy to be able to bury the blade. Um, how about trimming edging? You know, so if you put uh, solid wood edging on a piece of plywood, if you could bury that blade underneath the fence and it's perfectly flush with the outside of that fence, you could run that workpiece straight across and zip that edging right off and not have to worry about trimming it down manually. So that, that's probably what I would recommend, and that's that's what I'm going to be doing myself. So instead of having a dedicated tall fence just for that, this is a, well, you're getting three uses out of it. It's a tall fence on one side, it's a rabbited fence on the other, and it's a tool caddy at the same time. I saw one a while back. I just got a kind of a, kind of a vision of it in my head, but it was, it was a fence that kind of like what you're talking about, sit over, set over top of the existing fence. Mm-hmm, okay. And but on one, but on the side, and actually, I think on the top too, if I remember right, had a T track, and then you could just put in a taller fence to it and and attach it that way, or put in a, a fence to use with a dado blade, or I you'd have whatever you wanted. I don't know if that's where I'd want to go if you. If, or something like that. Yeah, I have, and I've seen the, I've seen those before. I've even seen them where you can sort of run a push block along the fence itself in some sort of a T-track and use that to help support the workpiece as you're pushing it through. So you can get really fancy with this stuff. Um, you know, Woodshop, what is it? Wood? It's not Woodshop News. Um, I'm forgetting my magazines. There's one that basically just publishes plans and a lot of uh, shop jigs and stuff like that. They've got some excellent uh, ideas for multi-use jigs like that. And if that's a good way to go, if you think you're going to need to attach a bunch of different things to this fence, how hard is it to put a T-track in, right? So as soon as you got a T-track in there, now you've got a bunch of different possibilities for what you can add on top of this auxiliary fence. Um, but it's a matter of knowing, kind of knowing what your woodworking needs are and what your woodworking style is. And if you know, you know, for me personally, ooh, my dogs just woke up. Uh, for me personally, I don't really, you know, to me, the tall fence and the rabbited fence, that's, that's kind of enough for me. Um, but some people may want to try a bunch of different things, so you'll need that T-track in there to be able to just, you know, hook different things on there. Okay. But I'll try and find some links, and when I post this uh, on the website, I'll find some links and throw them in there as well. And this way, uh, hopefully, we'll have some free resources for you. What if I wanted to go simple, just get this one project then? What's this like the simplest way? The simplest way is to uh, basically get a piece of three pieces of plywood and connect them to each other with some countersunk screws and just make sure you're building basically a, a U-shaped cup that goes over your fence system. Uh, if you make it a little bit long, you can kind of just clamp it to the fence on the far end and the near end, but it just it kind of depends on how wide your panel is. You don't want the clamp to be in the way. But well, the tabletop's what, 18 inches, I think. So okay, yeah. so that that may be a little bit, uh, a little. That's right, yeah, for the shaker table. So that that may sort of get in the way. But if you're just looking for a quick and dirty solution, three pieces of plywood wrapped around the fence, uh, and if you make it a nice snug fit, sometimes that friction fit is enough to hold it in place. And if that that's sort of a quick, almost I would call it, you know, for this project, I don't want to say a throwaway jig, but it's not necessarily one that you're going to keep around for a long time. Uh, but that will definitely help and support the workpiece and certainly make it a safer cut. Okay. All righty. I look forward to what you're going to do. Cool. Sounds good. Thanks for calling, bud. All right. Have a good day. All right. You too. Hello, John Smith. Hey, how's it going, sir? Pretty good. How are you doing with the <laughs> Skype thing? Uh, doing pretty good. I'm trying to just sort of 
figure out a system. And what I, what I realize that works out really well is I can see when, whenever anybody calls me, I can see it. So if I see that they called within the last few minutes, that's all they need to do because once the line is free, I'm sort of going in order of who called me first. And I go back and say, Hey, line is open. So yeah, so this is working out really well. Yeah, I was suggesting a red light, green light on your website or something. That's, you know, I was thinking the uh, the little status symbol next to my name, I can make it do not disturb or I can make it green. So that, that, may, be, that may be something. I just didn't want people to think I was saying, you know, don't call me <laughs> because no, obviously that's... That. <laughs> well, you know, when you ring, I, I figured you're busy, but you know. Yep, yep. I've been on the phone since we started. So um, what's going on, John? I haven't seen you okay. in a while. Yeah. Um couple of questions. Uh, one, your uh, video of uh, William doing the uh, uh, card scraper, mm-hmm. it, was that a class you took there? That was during the class that I took a couple weeks ago. I did the co- the Green and Green coffee table, and he just was explaining how great scrapers are and just went into a sort of impromptu demo. Okay. Uh, I guess the reason I'm asking, I looked on there, and you're not teaching a class this year, apparently. I am. I am. It's just not on there yet. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think it's going to be late summer, fall-ish time frame. Yeah. Well, I was looking at his uh, fundamentals class. Okay. Uh, it's, I don't know, you know, I could I could always learn something. Oh, yeah, uh, definitely. But it's, it's SketchUp. It's just a bunch of fundamental stuff rather than having one pure project. You make dovetails. I think we make a little box. But anyway, I wonder if you knew anything about that. I or, you know, I was just doing some work on his website two seconds ago, and I haven't even read the class description. I saw it a few times, but uh, okay. I mean, based on well, like you said, it, it never hurts to take these sort of fundamental classes at any skill level, just because it's nice to learn someone else's way of doing things. Um, but from what I know of your, uh, you know, aptitude and your experience level, I don't know, I don't know how much you would get out of a fundamentals course. But again, okay. if, it, if it sounds like the, the topics, let me read the description. It says, um, see, secret to fine woodworking can be found in the pursuit of fundamentals, high-tech machines, and power tools. These fundamentals can be overshadowed. In this class, we will learn the values of design, drawings, mock-ups, sharpening, care and use of hand tools, tuning up a bench plane, layout, measuring tools, wood technology, choosing and preparing lumber, joinery, uh, including hand-cut dovetails and the mortise and tenon safe machine and power tool operation, and how to apply hand rub finish. We'll practice all these skills, building a beautiful keepsake box. So, I mean, it sounds complete. It sounds good. It's just, you know, I think only you can really answer whether or not you want to sit through that and if it's something that's going to be helpful to you. Yeah. Well, I got to think, you know, I'm self-taught through the garage, you know, so. (laughs) Sure, sure. Yeah, well, and in that case, it may actually be good because a lot of times you – accumulate bad habits uh, by being self-taught and it's nice to see other people do it because you can kind of say well is this better than my method maybe i'll check it out yeah i learned a lot in your class i was really appreciative of that uh, yeah that was a fun class yeah i'll be doing um i'll be doing another one at the end of the summer and it's actually going to be the wall hanging cabinet that we did in the guild so you know oh, so for existing guild members it may not be that exciting unless they really want to learn it in person uh, yeah. But, but you know, it's a very adaptable, you know, basic cabinet. So it's something that can be used and adapted to a bunch sure. of different projects. So it should be another fun one. Okay. Well, let me get to my main question. Yeah, sure. Uh, I've, uh, you know, I told you I'm making these Sambalo flow back dining room chairs. Yes. 
and I'm, I'm, I've got them sanded to 500 grit right now. And the reason I did that is because once I get that real fine sawdust, I can see the, my machine marks a lot better. Okay. So with a 500, uh, well, maybe I could, I could do it at, at 420 or something, but I've got all the scratches now. Two questions. One is, should I just leave that? I'm going to put on your stain combination of uh, varnish and tongue oil. Okay. Uh, so should I rough it up or just leave it like it is? I would probably leave it like it is, um, especially if you're going for a more hand-rubbed oil effect. Sometimes that nice high-grit sanding is what you really need to help bring out the, the just the natural polish of it. And you don't really need – those surfaces don't really need a whole lot of extra work once you've got them sanded and now you're adding the oil coats. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I would kind of go along the way that you're, you're already headed. Uh, and then when the – yeah, I guess maybe after you – depending on how many coats you want – uh, I would say if you're going with like an oil varnish blend, you're probably going to want four to five coats. Uh, sure. w- once you have a decent coat on there, uh, one thing, and this actually was a, a, an adapted from a trick that I learned from from William. In fact, I always like to buff the surface with a 4,000 grit pad uh, when when the project is fully cured. So I'll give it like a week or two to really harden up, and then I'll go back with this pad. Now, I used to do it dry. And the thing is, you just get much more consistent and clean results if you do it with a wet method. So the thing that I learned from William was to just mix a little bit of mineral spirits with mineral oil. So we have like a non-drying oil and it's relatively loose. So you mix it, thin it out a little bit and use some sort of either sandpaper. um, I wouldn't go with steel wool. That's going to you know, give it a little bit too much of a, a, a matte appearance, uh, but yeah. maybe like a 1,000 or 2,000 grit sanding pad, something that like Merca makes or, or the Festool brand, and rub the oil into the surface and just give it a nice sort of polish. And what an amazing smooth satin finish that produces, especially if you go with four to five coats of an oil varnish blend. And for a Maloof chair, that's going to be perfect. That's going to be awesome. Yeah. I think it's, or this, when I went to 500, it really, Brings out the wood there too, just you know. Like yeah, it's it's, almost, it's already getting to <laughs> getting to that point. Um, can I ask you where are, are you making these from? A plan or? Uh, bought the plan from Highland. Okay, I actually just purchased that because it was on sale, and I watched the video uh, like two nights ago. I, I'm really intrigued. I think I'm going to actually build one in April. Well, I, I'm building two. <laughs> How did you find yeah. it? Did you did you like it? Um. Well, it was an interesting project. I mean, totally. I mean, it's a sculptured chair, which I've never did, you know, any sculpturing to speak of. A couple of things that he really doesn't, uh, I think I I explained this to you before. Mm -hmm. Um, You're a lot better teacher than he is. (laughs) Thank you. And he skipped uh, some areas, you know. Sure. You know, he's did it two or three times and, you know, and he's doing it again and, uh, he, he should have had somebody like me sitting there and saying, Hey, wait a minute, you know, what do you do now? Right. Yeah. Um, the, the real hard part is putting the arms on. And, uh, I found a much better way than, than he did it. But, uh, oh, no kidding. Yeah. Uh, it, it's cause you're making a triple compound angle in the back and then you're trying to line it up with a with a, a peg, and what he tells you to do is on the upright leg, he drill a hole, and then put a, a dowel marker. Right. And then when you line this thing up, 
you uh, you press your thing down and mark your down mark and drill your down mark. Well, when you do that, the back doesn't fit at all. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, it's off like an eighth. Oh, wow. And I so I plugged it, redrilled it, same thing. Hmm. So what I ended up doing was uh, once I drilled my hole, I'd, I'd already scribed my marks for my you know X marks for the hole. Sure. And then I marked them down the side, all four sides of the legs. It's still square at this time. Then I put the uh, arm on, match it to the back perfectly, clamp it. And then I transfer the the lines onto the arm mm-hmm. okay. from the leg, and then I turn it upside down and scratch it again. Uh, then drill it, and if it's perfect, then nice. Well, I think I might have to give you a call when I'm <laughs> when I'm at that point because <laughs> I don't want to be in the same boat. Easy. I mean, you know what? And I couldn't figure. I figure I'm, I'm doing something wrong. But well, let me ask you: it, How did you uh, How did you find the sculpting part of the process? The more artistic part. Uh, challenging. It's yeah. uh, uh, you know I I bought every tool there was to cut wood away. You know? Right. Yeah. And uh, the those little uh, they have some. Uh, they're kind of expensive though. They're uh, I don't know if you've seen them, but they're—I uh, don't know what you really call them—but they're like little grinding wheels. But they're just uh, carving uh, burrs, right? Yeah, they just have little fingers sticking out, mm-hmm. right? And uh, they have different colors for different grit, mm-hmm. but they don't leave a mark. And, and they are a joy. They don't grab, you know, like a lot of those with just two or three or ten teeth. They'll grind a grab. Sure, right. But with this one, you can just just go your you know leisure. Yeah. And you really need that for this type of a a project. There's some tight spaces where you need a small little tiny grinding tool to be able to, to round that over properly. Correct. Yeah. And some of it's in a difficult area. So, you know, you don't want to really screw around and sure, you know, skip or walk or something. Right. But I think they're about 60 bucks a piece. Ooh. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, I haven't, I haven't picked my, I've got a couple laying around, but I haven't bought the ones I'm going to use for this project yet. So, uh, I haven't, uh, haven't had to bring the wallet out yet. And one of the things that, that I realized I wish that I did on his putting your back on <coughs> and putting the, the curvature in the legs where the legs meet the, uh, chair. Mm-hmm. I thought he said a half inch radius or half-inch diameter, and I think he meant a half-inch radius. Oh, okay. And so I did a, I've got a, a, a just a, well, I've got a half-inch diameter. So my, my curves are pretty sharp. Gotcha, okay. And I would have, I, I think it would look better, and it would have been better if I'd have had a, a two-inch, or a one-inch. One-inch, sure. Um, so that would be good. Anyway, I'll send you pictures when you get done. But I got a one more problem. This is my biggest one. Okay. Uh, and I discussed this with you before through emails. I took my disc grinder and, and made an oh shit <laughs> <laughs> right at the uh, point where uh, your legs rest. Yeah. Okay. Right at the front there, where it just yeah, kind of dips it, down a little. Yeah, and it comes into a real sharp point. Okay. Uh, and I asked you what I could fill it with and you sent back, uh, I think Timbermate. Yeah. So I ordered some Timbermate in Walnut and then I ordered a Timbermate in neutral. Okay. Thinking I could dye it. Uh, it, it comes fairly close, but my main problem is awful soft. 
even even take, after it's uh, cured, you you find it a little bit soft. Yeah, I mean, I can take my nail and dig it out. Hmm. Uh, so then I tried taking uh, sawdust, packing it, and dropping CA glue in it, and that produces a real hard material. Sure. Right. But it's dark. I mean, it's a little lighter than black. Well, see, and sometimes depending on the position and where it is in the grain, sometimes that's not that bad. If it can be mis- sort of, um, people would see it as just a natural like bark inclusion or something. So it, yeah. is it in a place where it just looks painfully obvious? Well, I haven't filled it yet, but it, it it's just a small one. But, you yeah, know, yeah. it's it's one of those things a woodworker will pick it out right off the bat. Sure. And especially the guy that made it, you know, it's, it's always going to be there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and the thing is once it's smoothed and flattened, it becomes a heck of a lot less noticeable. But, yeah. um, the other thing is when you apply the finish, obviously the wood darkens a little bit, so it can be a little bit more forgiving, but I think that's, well, I, I tested that too. Yeah. So it's still significantly darker than the finished yeah. color. Hmm. Yeah. It's, it's twice the tone. Yeah. I, I mean, the thing is if you, how, how big are we talking here? Is it something well, that it's, it's probably, Oh, three sixteenths wide and, and maybe um, maybe an eighth inch deep, but it's right on that that sharp point. Yeah. So I mean, it fades away and it doesn't go in that deep. It's maybe a three sixteenths deep and maybe an eighth inch wide, I guess. Okay. Well, I mean, if it's an area that you're really concerned about it causing some sort of a you know maybe popping out or at some point in the future, you may even look into something like that epoxy putty that they have uh, that you can kind of just mold into the space and add a little bit of a, a dye to it. That's one thing you could probably do, but there's a little bit of trial and error there to try to get that color to, to yeah. match properly. Um, you know, and then the other thing is um, epoxy itself might be an option, but just keep in mind that the epoxy is going to make it look like, you know, you're going to add a little bit of a dye to it, but it's going to look like a resin as opposed to wood. Yeah, um, you could put the sawdust in the epoxy, but then that's going to give you pretty much the same results as doing CA glue and yeah. uh, and the uh, sawdust. So, um, you know, the good thing that about the Timbermate stuff though is that it does get pretty darn close in terms of color match. You yeah. know, so if you if you think with maybe a little bit of finish on it as the finish kind of absorbs into because it does take up finish and stain, uh, maybe it will firm up a little bit to the point that you're not really concerned about it. Um, so, you know, the timber mate still may be viable for you. Yeah. I'm, I'm afraid it's, it's just really too soft for this application. You know? Have you thought about trying just a wood patch? I, I realize in this area, because, you know, having a, a, anything when it starts to interrupt the grain is going to be obvious. And sometimes that fix is more obvious than the flaw, you know, the flaw itself. Um, but, you know, sometimes depending on the position, you could just put an actual wood patch in there that you know will be a suitable replacement i i've actually thought about that but you know it's it's on two radiuses coming to a point mm, okay so it is right on that edge yes and so i don't know how i can cut a nice piece to fit it you know and then cut the, the actual chair have you thought about possibly just redefining the curve is it is it so deep that that would yeah, really cause a problem that's too it, it wouldn't be impossible and if i hadn't made two of them then i've got to do both of them to, okay yeah so it's a, it's a little drastic yeah it's uh i mean if you know i can live with the putties but i'm just trying to do a little bit better job 
you know, frankly, for me, I know it's a lot more work, but if it's something that's going to be an eyesore and it's going to drive you nuts every time you look at it, if it were me, I would actually just take a deep breath and go back in and start working the edge and do all, you know, all two chairs, both of them, and just get rid of it. Because I, I mean, I'm, I think you're a lot like me and how this is something that's going to drive you nuts every time you see it. Yeah. Uh, so for the time invested in this project, uh, putting a little bit more into just backing that round over and, and reprofiling the front edge, as long as it doesn't interfere with the, the seat's comfort, you know, and the way and the overall look, I think it's probably worth it just to get rid of it. And, yeah. and when you get close, go ahead and put some water in it and try to steam it a little bit. And you might be able to avoid having to go down too far by, you know, swelling some of those fibers a little. Well, this is where I actually my, my disc grinder slipped on me and mm-hmm. I, I nicked it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a, okay. Well, I, that gives me, you know, what I've been doing is I've made up a couple sample pieces and I've, you know, kind of raised them and they're mm-hmm. at a point and been dinging those up. And then that's what I fill and stain and doing my checking. Well, good. That's, that's a good way to do it. At least you know what that's you're good. in for. Yeah, so hopefully, you know, it's too late to be a surprise once you get it on. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I hate to say it, John, but I think I, I would do a do-over on the radius and just, you know, work it a little bit more until it goes away. Okay, I might, I might, I'll go out and look at it and think. I just, I'm just, I'm over it right now, if you know what I mean. <laughs> You're ready to move on. <laughs> yeah, I got to move on. Uh, <laughs> well, let yeah. me know what you decide to do. I will, and I'll send you pictures. Then I got to start on my kitchen table, so that's going to be a little um, interesting project too. Sure. Oh, sure. you know what? To to go back to that, one other thing you may consider doing if if that Timbermate does feel a little bit soft, there's no reason you can't once it's sort of sanded and profiled to the edge, hit it with a little bit of thin CA glue, uh-huh. and it'll pick it right up. It'll absorb it, and that may help to stiffen it a little bit so that it becomes a little bit more rigid and doesn't become a problem. Okay. So, so, yeah, if the color is the way you like it, I was just thinking about that. So thin CA glue would be great for that. Yeah. All right. That's good. Okay. And one other question. I, I might not take that class since I've gone through all of your videos. Sure. Right. But uh, I'd like to know when it is, and I might drive down there just to visit with you. Um, I don't think it's on the schedule yet, but I'm still working on William's new website. So we're a couple days from launching that right now, but, uh, I'll get the date to you as soon as we have it. Well, for sure. Just mail it to me, you know? Yeah. I'll let you know. Uh, and I don't think he'd mind if I just come down and talk to you for a while. No, 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 no one cares. It's a big open party. <laughs> Whenever yeah. There's a class down there. So you're more than welcome. Okay. Sounds great then. Great. Thanks, John. I hope this works out for you. All right. Cool. Good. Next time. Alrighty. Good luck. Okay. All right. Bye. Take care. Hey, Mark. Sean, how's it going? Going great. Good. Just let me uh, actually turn down the background music. Can you give me like two seconds? <laughs> yeah, no problem. Yeah. What are we getting romantic here? What's going on? Here's the chest of drawers with a terrible field of view on the camera. So Okay. Um, so I have been emailing you about this. And I wanted to ask about my joinery method. Um, mm-hmm. I am going to, these holes are going to be filled with three quarter inch panels. So does that ring a bell from some of the emails? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm going to put dados in, and this is a half inch piece back here. The back is a half inch panel. Okay. Um, I'm contemplating whether I wanted to put, I might use pocket screws to attach the web frames in the back 
I'll make that decision. I'm not sure which way I want to go. You can see here my story stick in the making. Okay, nice. Um, so because it's about 60 inches wide, I'm concerned about the glue up. Okay. And I think that 60 inches, um, the web frames are going to be plywood and the fronts are probably going to be, this is all cherry. So um, I'm actually wondering if I should glue up half of it glue up like glue up this side over here and then use this side almost as a dummy side but not any glue on it okay and then you know make sure this side's all in nice and tight and then still be able to pop this side off if i have to make any changes that's a great tactic for this because the nothing will lock this thing into position better than the joints themselves so if you, right. if you were just to, let's say, put the thing down on its side, throw a couple of the, you know, the stretchers in and try to yeah. glue them in that way, it, things can be way off and you would never know. So right. yeah, I actually do that all the time. If I'm really, you know, having trouble thinking about how am I going to get this thing glued together, um, keeping, you know, one joint wet and three joints dry, you know, or whatever, the, however many you're dealing with. Right. So in your case, in your case, yes, glue up the left side. And keep the right side basically as a dry assembly. And then once that's the left side is dry, then you could do the right side. And that splits your your time in half, basically. Uh, right. I still the glue up still has to be the same. Like I still have to put the clamps on the same way, but I don't have to worry about glue being in both sides. Like I can get one glued up, get it all nice and square, lock it down, then once that's dry, pop off the side, do the other side, get that all locked down. Yep. And that also gives me the opportunity to make any adjustments on the second side, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, you know, when that glue is drying and, you know, God forbid, you've got one problem on one side and you see another problem on the other side and you've got to be able to move fast to get back and forth to these things. It, it just removes a whole set of variables for you. Um, so that's all part of, you know, creating these sub assemblies in a sense. Uh, but this, right. is, this is definitely a clever way to handle it. So absolutely, I think it's a great idea. Okay, cool. Yeah, and I'm going sure. to do, uh, do the panels here, and I'll get those glued up first because these are going to be curved legs. So mm -hmm. maybe I'll send pictures when I get that done. Please do. Yeah, and uh, I'm not sure if I – I know you sent me a couple of pictures, but I'd like to accompany this with, with some pictures. Yeah. So maybe I'll uh, – if you can, send me a couple, and if I don't hear from you, I'll, I'll try and dig back in and put those with yeah. this posting. I'll send you something later tonight, and I'll have it kind of glued up – not glued up. I'll have it – with the clamps on it and everything, and then I'll send the SketchUp model. Oh, perfect. So. Excellent. Well, cool, Sean. It looks great, man. It looks like it's coming cool. along. All right, Mark. Thanks, man. Yeah, have a great night. All right, you too. All right, take Bye. care. Steven. Hey, Mark. How are you? Good. How's it going, man? Good. It's your paisan from Connecticut. Bye here. We'll uh, have to get together. Anyway, um, sounds like you're busy tonight. Uh, it's kind of been uh, the first time we're doing something like this. So uh, the people who are trying to get to me need to be a little tenacious. And the, the here's the thing. The cool thing is that if you just wait, I'll be able to call you back as soon as I have a free line, basically. So, um, yeah, so I have been busy this whole time. I was I was pleasantly surprised that I got plenty of questions. So uh, what can I do for you tonight, bud? Um, well, you know, I had sent you that thing about the jewelry box I made and I was going to make a table stand for it. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, I know you sent me some uh, links to uh, look at some of this stuff. And obviously, I know this thing, it's going to be about 
35 inches high. I figured maybe like 22 by about 24 at the top. Um, so I know the thing needs four legs and, uh, you know, a support thing and, and a top and everything like that. My, my question was, um, how does one go about, you know, I mean, just in general terms, how does one go about, um, you know, figuring out how to, how to draw plans for something like that? And also, um, I'm always confused about this board foot stuff, you know, how to order the, how to order properly when you order the wood. Cause I've right. used different kinds of wood, like Sapele and probably, Tiger maple or something like that, or African mahogany and tiger maple. Um, mm-hmm. I want to kind of make it match the thing, you know. Right. Um, and uh, so, just generally speaking, how how does one go? I mean, I know you will have all the plans drawn up and everything like that, which is great. But you know, I don't have access to anything like that. So, how would I go about doing that on my own and knowing what to order and everything like that? It's just a general question. Yeah, this is, uh, I hope I can answer it adequately in, in this sort of medium, but basically this is a fundamental thing. You know, once, once you have a need, you have certain measurements that you're going to take from the jewelry box that will tell you what the dimensions of this top needs to be, or at least the, the minimal dimensions it needs to be to, to, to look right uh, with this particular piece. So those are your starting dimensions. You also kind of, I would imagine, have an idea of how tall you want this thing to be too, correct? Right. Because you don't right. want it to, you know, you're, you're designing it for a particular function. So uh, once you have those numbers, you already have some of the most important parameters that you need for this project. Now, these days, uh, we really try to push people to design inside of a program called SketchUp. Okay. And this is a free program from Google. So it's not something that you have to pay for. You could download it right now and start playing with it right away. Um, this is basically the modern woodworkers pen and paper, you know, pencil and paper. So instead of sketching these things down on, 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 uh, you know, trying to draw them to scale or something like that, you're just using some clicks with your mouse. And if you mess up, you hit the erase button. You know, there's, there's no, uh, it's just a lot simpler and a lot faster. And once you get, that is once you get uh, comfortable with doing it, it, it makes a lot more sense for you. Um, I, went there. I did go on there and look at some of those tutorial kind of things they have on there. And it seemed a little bit complex, but, it, it can be, it can be. And I'll be, I'll be honest. I don't use SketchUp that much for, you know, designing from top to bottom. When I provide these things for guild members, I have someone else do it for me because I just don't have the the aptitude or patience at this point to design from top to bottom that way. Um, but if you're designing something like a simple, you know, fairly straightforward table, and essentially the stand is going to take a lot of influence from end tables, if you know, from, from your description and from what, what we've exchanged in emails, um, right. You know, something like that is fairly easy to design in SketchUp. So I don't want to put you off on a tangent here. That's something to keep in mind in the future is to think about learning SketchUp because it will help you with stuff like this. Um, but, you know, all you really need is is a pencil and paper to start getting this thing, you know, down and figuring out what you want. Now, a lot of it comes down to just, you know, learning about basic design principles and, and just, you know, sometimes just going with your gut. For instance, you're going to need legs. So how big should those legs be? Well, you know about the, you know, what the height should be. So you probably know the length of the legs, but how thick should they be? How, how wide should they have some curves? These are all things that you need to kind of look at the overall picture. And I'm always here to give you advice in the forum is always there. If you need advice to say, okay, I drew this up. Do you think these legs look too big or are they, you know, too spindly? Should I make them a little bit fatter uh, and come up with a number that actually looks good? 
And then, you know, obviously now if you know you need two inch by two inch legs at a particular length, you now have one piece of wood that goes into your cut list. And once you start to assemble the pieces of the project like this, you know, in a small project like this, it's actually relatively easy to think about when I'm in the lumber store, how do I get my mindset so that I understand what board is going to what part of the project? So if you have four legs, and let's say each leg is, um, and I'm just going to throw a number out there, 20 inches long, you've got four of them. That means you now need uh, 80 inches worth of leg material. So if you buy a two-inch thick board, you know, to handle this, the, the width that you need for the legs, you need to figure out how many legs can I get out of that board. So, so it comes down to being a little bit, you know, strategic about this because sometimes you're going to look at the board and say, oh, I don't like that grain. Maybe if I put the leg over here, um, you can also put legs side by side in that board. Obviously, if it's a two inch leg and you buy a board that's six inches wide, you should be able to get at least two out of every section of that board. You know, so, so that's kind of what you have to do. And most times, I mean, to be completely honest with you, you're going to, it's always better to overbuy and it's very difficult to get it perfect. I, I almost never nail it perfectly when I estimate my wood and I don't want to make two trips. So I'm always buying more than I need uh, just because it's going to be that difficult to, to get it down. And, and honestly, you just can't predict what's going to happen when you start planing the wood and you start seeing what the grain looks like. Well, sometimes what you thought looked good in the, in the lumber yard doesn't look so good in the shop and you need to move around those bad spots. You know, so, so it really is sitting down, planning it out, getting it to look good. And a lot of times it's, it's not even about worrying about the numbers right away. A lot of times it's worrying about the proportions. So you sort of just draw on a piece of paper, what you want this thing to look like. And then you might even start to scale it up and figure out based on these proportions, how big is the actual leg going to be to kind of, you're kind of extrapolating from a little mini picture to what this thing might look like in person. Right. Right. And because it's one of a kind kind of thing, it's that's mm -hmm. where, uh, you know, creation, artistic creation comes in, I guess. Sure, sure. And, and a lot of times one thing that I'll do is I'll go around and look at, you know, so if, if, if we are taking inspiration from end tables, let's say, as, as a basic form to start with, I start looking around the Internet and I use uh, I do a Google search for end table. And then on the top, what's great about Google is if you do a search and you look on the top, uh, the top row, it's got a couple options up there. One of them is images. So if you click it, it'll just show you images from Google. You won't see all the words that are usually associated with a, a Google search. So you type end table, click on images, and now all of a sudden you've got inspiration uh, going nuts because there's just... You know, a lot of it is commercial crap that we wouldn't actually want to buy, but there may be a cool fundamental design element that, that inspires you. So you can use those as sort of starting points for your designs and take the measurements from those drawings. I mean, most furniture places actually have the measurements right on the page. So if you want to know what your average table size should be, well, go look at a few tables and, and take the numbers from there. And, and, and don't be afraid to take some influence from those things. It doesn't have to be this groundbreaking thing necessarily, you know, you want to, you want to get started and just have a success under your belt and you could always build up to more complex stuff later. Yeah. Good idea. That's great. And All of right. course, anything you need help with, you know, shoot me an email and the forum is fantastic. Everybody's very helpful there. We've got a, a design help area where if you're trying to ponder between, you know, how wide should this apron be? How thick should my legs be? You could post the question there and there's a ton of people who are going to be there to help you out, including me. 
Okay, is that on the guild section or the regular section? Uh, you could do it in the guild section, but generally the entire community is fantastic for it. So the, the design help area is in the regular section of the forum. Okay. All righty. All right, thanks, buddy. Hey, no problem, and uh, have a great week, and good luck with the project. Okay, thanks. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And so ends our first episode of Board Meetings. Hope you liked it. Let me know what you think by leaving a comment on the website at thewoodwhisperer.com. 